The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 459 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. Unfortunately, John Shire's uh, endless winning streak has actually come to an end. We have to talk about it. Duke loses in the Champions Classic 69-64. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you from a hotel room. So I'm sorry that the audio may be different than you are used to. I am joined, as always, from their home offices, from their home recording studios, perhaps. Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Donald, how are you despite the Duke loss? First of all, my apartment is smaller than an actual recording studio. So, uh, yes, uh, I guess I'm in my home recording studio that is basically a phone booth. But uh, I'm here to say, uh, Jason, that I went and saw Wakanda Forever. And I'm here to tell you that it was actually, to me, effing epic. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not giving away spoilers, but obviously there's a there's a tribute to Chadwick Boseman in the movie. And there was three people in the theater other than me. And so literally I was sitting there. When, when did you see it? I saw it like Monday afternoon. So it was it was like a matinee. So there's only three other people in the theater with me. Um, because they had like the whole, basically they have like 20 theaters and 18 of them were showing Wakanda forever. So that didn't matter to me, but for me, I was like, oh man, they're definitely going to hear me. If I cry, I gotta, I gotta keep it. I gotta keep it tight. Um, <laughs> I did, but barely. No, I, Hey, I was right. I said that I cried during it. I, it was it, the emotion yeah. is great in that movie. Jason Evans, you're here. Hi. I am. Yes. <laughs> I'm doing good after that lot. You know, I, I feel we we had a bunch of people who emailed us. Wow, the email box blew up. DBRpodcast at gmail.com was just exploding in the wake of that Kansas game. And a lot of the emailers said the same thing I am, which is that I am more optimistic about this Duke team now than I was before they lost. That seems crazy, but what a great learning experience I think that was for the 22-23 Blue Devils. 
before we get into the basketball game, I need to go back to what are we watching right now? Because one, I haven't, I don't know when you guys are finding uh, time to watch other stuff. I'm still trying to finish the crown, uh, which the, the new season came out a few days ago. I'm three, three episodes in. It's really good so far. Yeah. I, and, and this is, we're still in uh, history that I don't remember. So like, Oh my I rem- gosh. I remember. You're I remember. so young. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I remember when, when uh, princess Di died and I remember there being a beanie baby about her, but I don't even remember if the beanie baby was before she died or after. Like, this is this is pretty like foggy for me. Uh, I don't remember them getting but, divorced. So, spoiler. I, I know nothing about the beanie baby, but I'll tell you, Sam. It, it's it's interesting watching the crowns a different experience for you than me because like when that when the guy in like episode three, maybe it was episode four, says, "Yeah, my name is Andrew Morton." I went, I went, "Whoa, what's Andrew Morton? Oh my gosh, you have no idea who Andrew Morton is." <laughs> No, uh, I I just got to the episode where uh, where where Tony Blair is installed as prime minister, and and he is a historical figure that I actually remember. So uh, that that's that's exciting, I suppose. Uh, and then the other thing that I was watching uh, only for a few minutes last night, I guess a few hours last night, I had it uh, streaming next to the Duke game was the SLS launch finally went into space. No, so, it didn't. Don't lie. It did. Don't lie. It, went- it took off. <laughs> All my, all my, all my homies on Space LinkedIn were, uh, were all over this. Uh, I, I worked on, I worked on the upper stage of that, uh, that rocket for three years. So, uh, it, it had a successful translunar injection burn. So, uh, my, my job here is done. I can move on from, from my old job finally after all this time. If anyone ever says to you, you guys are just podcasters, you should say, yeah, it's, it's not rocket science. It, it, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> it isn't. It's different. It's a different. And you would know because you are a rocket scientist. I was. Uh, right. I'm not. I am not anymore. So it's a it, it's a time bygone for me. Anyway, guys, we have to talk about the basketball game. We we can't talk about oh, too yeah. many other things. There was a big basketball game. And Jason, I let me let me start by saying that I love the way you summarize this. It's a bummer that Duke lost. It's a bummer that John Shire finally has a loss on his resume. But so many great things to take away from this, so many interesting things to take away from this, and still no Dariq Whitehead. So as we said, the final score from the Champions Classic, the late night Champions Classic, thanks a lot, Michigan State, for continuing to extend your game with Kentucky and making the Duke game tip at like 10.30 Eastern. Yo, yo, Michigan State Michigan State eventually won. I'll take that. It oh, was pretty fine. cool. It was a great it, game. There were some, there were some fun dunks in the Michigan State game, but the Duke game ended 69-64 Kansas. I'd say it was a back-and-forth affair. Kansas was ahead for most of this game, but Duke did lead for for key stretches late, Uh, so let's call it a back-and-forth affair. Kansas eventually pulls away from Duke 69-64. Kyle Filipowski uh, has, has the biggest night statistically for Duke, but we need to start with headlines. As Jason mentioned, we got, I think this was a record day for headlines in the inbox, which is awesome because it makes our jobs easier. So, Donald, let me go to you first. Give me your headline from Duke's loss to Kansas. Yeah, there's a lot to kind of summarize about this game, but I think this is close to it. And my headline is Duke shows grit, but hopes take a charge and lost to KU. Oh, I that that's punny. Jason, let me hear your headline first. I'll give you mine and then I'm coming back to you for for the best of the rest. Uh, so I almost went with a, you know, Duke charge kind of thing in my headline. But instead, I did this. Duke cannot quite flip the script on Kansas. Ooh. Ooh. 
Everyone went. Probably the probably the first of many Kyle Filipowski puns that I make this year. Uh, I went with clang thump crash. That's that, that's that, pretty accurate. Yep. All the, those are all the sounds that we were that we were hearing last night between <laughs> between all the three pointers that were that were falling off the rim and all the people falling down. Uh, there was a lot of that going on 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 both sides, both ends of the court. Uh, I guess my headline doesn't imply who won the game, but uh, it sort of implies that there was chaos. Jason, give me. Give me like two of the best headlines from the listenership. Uh, so I got two good nominees here. Anthony Sherry, I think I'm pronouncing that last name right. Scary Sherry, I'm not sure, something like that, says Kansas celebrates with a block party. Clearly a reference to the fact that the uh, Jayhawks were blocking like every Duke shot we put up there. <laughs> and there uh, One sequence, Jason, where, and I know maybe we'll talk about this in the bad, where Duke had two shots blocked consecutively. Uh, like like two basically lay-ins. So it's interesting you note that when we get to favorite play, I was going to say my favorite play might have been when Kansas blocked back-to-back. Not that I not that I loved it myself, but like great appreciation for Kansas and the effort they put in on that play. You know, if if I wasn't a diehard Duke fan, that would be the play of the game for sure. Um, and then the other headline, Amazing. yeah, the other headline was. Uh, Graham Ossie came to us with flashes of freshman phenoms portal disappoints because Graham was impressed with what some of our freshmen did, especially Kyle Filipowski and Mark Mitchell and Tyrese Proctor. But he thought our two portal players, Jacob Grandison and Ryan Young, um, did not sort of carry the weight that we expected them to in this game. Yeah. So let's move to the good then. And maybe Sam, actually, wait. Jason, we... and, and I want to add one more thing. I want to say we will not we will not be reading the headline that we got from at least one person that made reference to the officiating and used the name of Grady Dick, the uh, star freshman from Kansas. We will not Plus be his reading last name, though. You're right. We will not be reading that headline during our podcast. This is a PG-13 rated podcast, but props to those of you who made that joke. It was a pretty good joke. I, I said I, I would read it, but I think you guys are voting <laughs> me down. So uh, maybe I'll just respond the to the show. listener. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're we're all we're known to be a family show around here. Jason, mm -hmm. can you come back and, and start with the freshman for me? And and you can start with Kyle Filipowski. You could start with Tyrese Proctor because probably his best game so far in a Duke uniform. I know it's early in the season, but tell me a little bit about the freshman's performance tonight, especially in a game where Duke's under really under the lights for the first time. They're playing a big time opponent in an NBA arena. And the freshmen really came to play in this one, right? Yeah, some of them did for sure. Um, Tyrese Proctor, like you mentioned, in the second half especially, early in the second half especially, when Duke was sort of fighting their way back into getting the lead, um, he was his most confident and aggressive that we have seen from him all year. He finally, finally unveiled that lethal step back jumper that I've been I've been talking about that on this podcast for a long time I've seen it in highlights from him and he just he hadn't really displayed it yet in a Duke uniform until this game it is an absolute it's an undefendable shot because he steps into you and then steps back and takes his shot there's no way for you to really defend it and stop it and he unveiled that and knocked down three of those during this game I also thought he showed great vision and creativity as a passer. There were a couple times he was finding guys, not like the guy next to him, but the guy two, sometimes even three men away with some really creative passing. I, I, I don't know that 
this is going to happen yet, but I think we're going to see over the course of the next month or so, Tyrese Proctor move into being the point guard and Jeremy Roach move into being more off the ball. I think Roach is maybe a little bit better operating from the wing and maybe not operating with the ball in his hands all the time. I, 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 I love what I saw out of Tyrese Proctor. I can get to the other guys, but Sam, I think you want, you want to get in on that. The comparison that I find easy to make and, and, you know, we're always trying to compare it to the best Duke teams, but this feels like a Tyus Jones and Quinn cook situation here where, where cook sort of came in being the, uh, the incumbent point guard, but maybe not as flashy, especially passing the ball as, as Tyus Jones was in his season at Duke and Quinn cook, who was not a shooting guard in the NBA, uh, moved to shooting guard effectively that season. Duke was playing two point guards in 2015, and that that lineup just worked really well. So I, I agree with you, Jason, that it's possible that this is the case. The thing is that, that I want to be cautious about with Proctor is that in two games prior to this, he didn't really display this ability. And I wonder how much of this is you have to turn on the lights a little bit for Proctor to perform like this. I don't know that John Shire is going to buy that as a as a way going forward because as we're going to talk about i think later in the show there are going to be a lot of acc games this season that are not going to be interesting for duke because the acc is not acquitting itself well here in the early season donald give me your thoughts on proctor and then i I definitely want to talk about kyle filipowski see i uh, you were talking about quinn cook and tyus jones which i think is a great you know parallel but also i was thinking about chris duhan and Jay, Jay Williams, like when they came in and they kind of had that split up where, okay, Jay, you focus on the shooting and Chris will focus on the, you know, the dishing and the passing. And it's not like Chris and the, Duhon and the defense and Proctor, by the way, is a great defender. And, yeah. And, and it's not like Chris Duhon couldn't shoot the ball and he couldn't take his shots, but his primary job was to be the ball handler and to distribute to everyone else. And Jay's, you know, Jason Williams, his, his job was to shoot the ball. So I see that a little bit more, especially the parallel given that, you have an established veteran uh, junior point guard uh, that is shifting, kind of shifting over the make way for a freshman point guard. But I see with Tyrese Proctor, he felt a little more comfortable in that role, in especially in the second half, the start of the second half. He kind of felt a lot more comfortable with the ball uh, and being able to, again, find his teammates. And I think that's only going to get better as we go along the the split between the two who has the ball at what times that's going to be something that's a chemistry thing and that's not to say that there's something bad in that right now is that that has to develop and we just need time for that to flourish all right so let's let's now move to the other freshman that we said we need to talk about who's kyle filipowski in his first couple games kyle filipowski put up double doubles against teams that were frankly not in duke's league and here we go playing kansas a team that is very much in Duke's league, better than Duke uh, at this point in the season, a championship defending team and a championship contender in this year with some great athletes on the front line and one of the best big men in the country in Jalen Wilson. And Kyle Filipowski goes out and does it again, becomes the first freshman in Duke history to have double-doubles in his first three games. And it's not just that he's grabbing a bunch of rebounds and scoring some points. It's he's displaying the kind of skills that we just don't see from big men, from guys with his size and strength. We don't see it very often. It's it's hard not to compare it a little bit, just a little bit, guys, to what we saw a year ago from Paulo Bancaro, 
who again was a guy like like Kyle, big thick shoulders, you know, close to seven feet or seven feet in length and in, in in height, uh, very uh, very strong on the inside, and yet guard like skills, ability to shoot three pointers, ability to put the ball on the floor, um, and and, and take pull up shots and also get to the basket. But then the thing I think that Filipowski adds that Paulo didn't really have, and and to be clear, Paulo was much better at scoring and better at taking it to the basket and getting his own shot than Flip is. But what Flip does better than Paulo is he is a tenacious rebounder with really good hands, really nice touch around the basket. You know, I know that the there's been a lot of talk. We've talked about it on this show that Kyle Filipowski probably is looking at staying at Duke for a couple of years, that he, the thought was he doesn't have the skills that the NBA is going to be salivating over. Man, I, I don't know. After what I've seen the past week or so, I don't know. If I'm an NBA GM, I'm looking at that guy and I'm saying, there's a lot there that translates to the next level. He has looked fabulous so far. And frankly, Duke isn't even close to in this game. If, if we don't have a, his, his aggression on offense and B, his ability to offensive rebound. It was unbelievable. I, I want to shift quickly because I talked about it in my headline and I want to talk about the grit that this team showed throughout the game. I mean, if you think about this game, we, you know, I think at halftime, John Shire, who uh, mind you, this is, you know, we're, we're kind of used to the head coach not doing that halftime interview uh, because before John Shire was doing it was, uh, was, he was doing it as an assistant coach. Now he's doing it as a coach. But I did want to talk about how these freshmen are able to bounce back. And even though they looked a little timid in the first part, they were able to be resilient, keeping it within four at halftime, taking the lead in the second half, having a lead as big as six in, in the middle of the second half, and really just showing you know, that sort of tenacity of, hey, this game isn't over yet. We, we still have a chance. And even when things weren't going their way, even when, you know, we'll talk about uh, some guys, you know, wh whose last name is Ayers um, and how that really affected their flow. There was a lot of times where guys were able to pull each other again and say, hey, you know, that was bad. But yeah, can I can I ask you guys? Uh, there was like a, there was that moment with like two minutes left in the first half. When I looked up and, and I was like, OK, Duke has been totally outplayed. The refs are giving us a clinic on the rules you know, they're teaching us the the rules that we should already know. We are cold as ice from the field. We have a million turnovers and charges. And I looked up and I was like, this is a two-point. How did this happen? It's a two-point game. Right. And Rolling isn't that the four. sign of a that's the sign of a great team that you're we, like, they're being completely outplayed. Oh, wait, never mind. They're about to take the lead. Here's the other thing, Jason, real quick. You know, rebounding. Like a lot of times when you when you have, you know, shooting ruts and things like that, you're thinking. Oh, everything's not going well, but you know when people are playing well and they're playing hard on the when you see the rebounding stats. We out rebounded in what 46 to 35. Like a team that is the defending national champions. That shows a lot of you know moxie and resilience. The fact that again, that even if they were missing shots, they were getting rebounds, going back after it, getting stops when they could, and going down the other end and trying to make something happen. They just didn't get it done. But at the end of the day, there's a lot to be proud of in that regard. And it starts with the fact that these guys just didn't quit. And tying those two points together from Donald and from Jason, Kyle Filipowski displayed all of those qualities, especially in that second half run when Duke was able to tie it up and then eventually take the lead. 
Flip was like the emotional leader on the floor. He was he was getting big stops and and making big baskets, playing through contact, getting fouled, doing a lot of like really mature work inside around the paint that you know I'm I'm sure he has practiced a ton and I'm sure he he worked on it as much as he could in high school, but look at how big the guy is. There's no way that he was getting guarded in high school by anybody that was stopping those moves. And all of a sudden he's going up against a, a pretty big and, and athletic Kansas team. That gives me a ton of hope in the same way that when we were talking about Tyrese Proctor earlier, Proctor's performance here gives me a ton of hope that I was starting to lose faith in over the course of those first two games. The emotional point for me of the game, my favorite part of the game was when flip went down, had like, Three guys on him, and he said, F everybody, I'm dunking over all of them. So he dunked over all of them, then ran down the other end. I'm pretty sure either got the block or got like the loose ball foul to go the other way. He took a charge, I think. He took a charge, yes. So yeah, yeah, everyone took a charge in this game. I I think I took a charge in this game. But I'm saying like that emotional point of him doing that on both ends of the floor, like that's, again, that's a pivotal moment that should it, you know, you you wish it would have been a a pivotal moment that helped us win the game. But it was a pivotal moment nonetheless. Sam, Sam, I love that you pointed out the the degree to which these guys were emotional and, the, and that Flip was leading the emotion for this team. That's such an important thing on a team that I think, you know, I'm getting little hints that maybe this team isn't a team that has a lot of leaders on it or a lot of guys who want to step up and be the leader. Uh, I, I'm, I'm it, it certainly looks like one of the leaders on the floor, if not in the locker room, is Kyle Filipowski. And I've heard through the grapevine that there were some really pissed off players in the Duke locker room after that game. They are mad that they lost, not frustrated, not angry, but mad at themselves for giving away a game they thought they should win. I like that attitude and I want to hear more about that. And and last thing, you know, as we're going through the good Guys, I want to talk, you've mentioned it, but I want to give us some numbers on the rebounding so people understand how impressive it was Duke's rebounding in this game against a very good rebounding team in Kansas. We had 21 offensive rebounds. Kansas only had 23 defensive rebounds. So almost one for, when Duke missed, it was almost a 50-50 proposition. But here's the thing. This isn't the first time that's happened. On the season now, only three games, but on the season, Duke is rebounding 48% of our missed shots. That's sick. That's a crazy number. 48%. Best number in all of college basketball. Again, I know it's early. Some teams have only played one game that counts. But for us to be doing that shows you like the moxie and the grit and determination of this team. And there's another cool stat that relates to this game against Kansas and also to what we've seen from Duke so far this year. Kansas shot just seven free throws in this game. Duke is the second best team in the country. Number two at not fouling our opponents and putting them on the line. So we are simultaneously number one in offensive rebounding and number two in not fouling. Think about those two stats side by side. That's mind blowing. Cause usually if you're a team that goes after the offensive boards, you're going to pick up some fouls for us to be doing that. Those two things. It's just crazy. I don't know that it'll continue, but it's crazy. And it is a great sign for this team because when Derek Whitehead comes back, we're going to get way better on offense. Jason, what I was about to say is that Derek Whitehead coming back may make this even better for Duke because I'm not sure, like, you know, as good of a rebounder as as Ryan Young is capable of being, I'm not sure that fully healthy Derek uh, Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively aren't even better rebounders 
than what we have here. We we haven't seen them all on the floor together, and there does some there does appear to be something special about the fact that Mark Mitchell can play next to two true bigs that really improves Duke's rebounding ability. Tyrese Proctor can rebound. That there's just there's rebounding coming from a lot of places on the floor, and and maybe that changes with Whitehead. But I actually think that potentially that gets even better. It frees up guys to play natural positions, and and that should make the the rebounding a huge um a, a huge strength for duke going forward even if and and we'll talk about this in the bad even if the shooting continues to be a little bit of a struggle you know i think sam that actually might be the best good of this whole game if you think about it we just took the defending national champions to the wire only lost by 5 and the guy who most people think will be our best player has not played a single second yet this year there's a lot to be proud of, of the effort that we had. But the fact is, if Derek Whitehead's in this game, hey, we have a really good shot at beating these people and everyone going, oh, wow, this team might be something really good. There is a potential six-man rotation. And in fact, I think this is what we're going to eventually see from Duke. Again, not to say that John Shire isn't going to go deeper than this. Not to say that Jalen Blakes and Ryan Young and Jacob Grandison are not going to play in games. I'm not saying that. But... I think Duke is going to very soon after Dariq Whitehead gets back and he and Lively really get integrated in the team. We're probably talking around Christmas or so um, in terms of them being really integrated and, and up to full speed where you're going to see a six man Duke rotation. There's Jeremy Roach, Tyrese Proctor, Mark Mitchell, Dariq Whitehead, Kyle Filipowski and uh, and Derek Lively. Think about how big that lineup is, that that group of six guys is. Roach is like six, three, but everyone else is six, five. Proctor, six, five. Whitehead, six, eight. Mitchell six eight. The rest of them are like seven feet. I mean, it is that is going to be a really really good team. I'm so excited for that. Jason, let me counter that by pointing out that that six man rotation includes one junior and five freshmen, and <laughs> I don't think that there is going to be an. I mean, it it worked a little bit last night to have guys like Filipowski sort of leading the charge for Duke. I don't know how sustainable that is over the course of the season. We know that basically every freshman hits a wall at some point. And so as much as we're going to talk as we transition into the pad about how Ryan Young and Jacob Grandison did not deliver what will be their best performances in Duke uniforms this season, those guys have to be better and, and have to be part. I think they have to be part of the rotation for Duke to be really successful this season. Not that I know exactly what, what the measure of success is in, in John Shire's first year. But I, I don't think he's looking forward to only playing freshman and Jeremy Roach down the stretch in, in competitive games. Yeah, we we'll see. Look, no one knows. We've got three games. We haven't seen enough. We haven't seen enough of lively. We haven't seen any of Whitehead to, to have a good sense of all this stuff. I'll merely say, Sam, I disagree with you. I think there's a very decent chance that by the time we hit February, and certainly March, again, not saying those other guys are not going to play, but I think you are going to see the vast lion's share of the minutes going to those five freshmen plus Jeremy Roach. Let's transition then to the bad. And and Donald, I want you to, to start us off with those veteran transfers who were on the court last night for Duke, Ryan Young, who's who's still in the starting rotation and may still be for, for some time, depending on how how much lively is able to to fully integrate. We'll see what happens over the next couple games that are back in Cameron and then into Portland, but then also Jacob Grandison's performance. We talked uh, in the prior game against USC upstate 
about how Grandison checking into the game completely altered the the vibe for Duke and, and really set the tone in this game didn't have the same effect. What did you see from those two guys specifically last night? Yeah, it's funny. Me and my me and my best friend Jeff were talking about this this morning, and, and even last night, where the four oldest guys on the roster were the four that kind of had, um, you know, terrible outings at least either in full or in part. Uh, and I include Jeremy Roach just with the turnovers and that. I know we'll talk about turnovers and charges in a little bit. But and, and block th- shot. By the way, block shots. Jeremy Roach got a shot blocked five times. Five times. Yeah. So yeah. So there's that. And and I think when you're looking at Ryan Young, this is the first time so far this season that uh, Derek Lively uh, was on the floor longer than Ryan Young, even though Ryan Young started, I believe he was about 35 or 40 seconds less on the, uh, on the floor than Derek Lively. That's obviously going to continue to probably increase, uh, at, you know, in Derek Lively's favor as we move forward. But it felt like this game was a little out of reach for him at times. It, 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 and it wasn't that he wasn't doing his normal moves. It was just it felt like this game was a little bit too athletic uh, at times for Ryan Young to be on the floor and that we needed a more athletic Derek Lively to really pace uh, the offense and the defense. For Jacob Grandison and, and Jalen Blakes, I mean, Jalen Blakes had a couple times where, again, you know, John Shire said he wanted guys to attack the basket, and Blakes did that several times. He wasn't as effective at it, but he, he did it. And I think that, and also his defense at times was also what kept him on the floor for some stretches. Uh, but Jacob Grandison, you know, he just didn't shoot well on the night. And it felt like a couple of times on defense, he was lost in the rotation of the Kansas uh, front court. And that's what kind of led him to be in some positions where guys are behind him. Um, I think Grady Dick had a couple of got times where he, uh, did backcourt uh, back cuts on him, uh, backdoor cuts. And Jacob Grandison didn't really have whatever it was. It just wasn't able to keep up with that. And so uh, those you're going to have those outings. And again, it, it it's kind of unfortunate that our three, three of our oldest guys on the, on the team ended up having, you know, shaky outputs at the same time, but that's going to happen. And I think, you know, the great thing about these older veterans is, they're going to learn from it very quickly. They're going to throw it in the in the rear view very quickly. And, you know, as we always say at Duke, they'll get to the next play. It's so interesting that the guys who performed the best in this really high-profile game were the guys who haven't been there before. And the ones who have, I mean, Ryan Young wasn't a star at Northwestern, and it's not like Northwestern was the greatest team in the Big Ten, but Jacob Grandison was on a team that was very good at Illinois, and he played a, a pivotal role for them. And let's face it, the Big Ten has been a better basketball league than the ACC in the time that these guys have been playing college basketball. So they have the experience here that should have translated to this game. So it, it it's interesting to me that in the highest profile game yet this season, they were the ones that disappeared. I am sort of if, – if we're looking ahead to to what needs to improve for Duke for these, these veteran transfers – Seeing how they perform in in Portland at, at the at the PK eighty five event when they if they get to play at Gonzaga or any of the other great programs that they're going to face, I want to see a little bit different attitude and approach. And I love the fact that Duke has a Jacob Grandison to come off the bench to to provide a little a little difference for them. I'm glad that Duke has a Jalen Blakes to come off the bench. I know he didn't play the crunch time minutes last night, and I don't want to I don't want to revisit my my prediction from the stats game about. Jalen Blake's uh, crunch time minutes production this season because 
pretty sure I overestimated based on what we saw yesterday. But I, I do want to see more of that. And and I remain optimistic that they'll be able to, to make that a, a key part of their contribution this season. Jason, can we talk a little bit about the factors that were out of Duke's control last night? I, I want to have a... I want to have a measured, honest uh, conversation about the Wait, referees. Before we yes. before we do, can we have uh, – you can keep can, – can I have 15 seconds to be unmeasured about this? Go for I, it. Uh, Donald, I will give you 10 seconds. 10 seconds, is, 10 seconds is all I need. What the hell was that? Hey, I hate these refs. I don't like them. They need to go somewhere. Roger Ayers on site. Okay. That's all I that got. That was less you. than 10 seconds. <laughs> Let now let's dial it back and let's have now, an, now we'll be measured. Okay. So Donald is right. Roger Ayers saw the bright lights of the ESPN cameras, the national audience, the early season game, and he announced his presence with authority. Unfortunately, he decided to announce his presence with authority by screwing over Duke repeatedly. The charges were just absurd. And I want to be clear that a fair number of them probably were charges, but not all of them. And they just, the refs kept on taking points off the board. They, 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 they called the absurd, ridiculous flop call on Tyrese Proctor, where he got hit on the hand while he was shooting a three. And then they called him and he lands on the guy's foot and they called him for a flop. It was, it's, it's just an atrocious call it not only takes away, it not only gave Kansas the, a free throw that they missed, but still gave them a free throw because of the the technical call on Tyrese Proctor. But it took away three free throws from Duke when Duke needed points desperately. Tyrese Proctor needed to see the ball going through the basket desperately, and here he's getting hit and bumped on his landing. And they go, "No, that's a flop." The the offensive foul they called on Kyle Filipowski when he should have had a three point play on a rebound in the final like three minutes of the game. It's it's a one possession Where game. He was fouled four times prior to the call. He's getting manhandled and they're calling nothing. And then they call him for an offensive foul. Uh, Jeremy Roach got hammered going to the basket one time, just hammered. No call at all. The refs did us no favors, none. And, and there was a truly, if you've got the tape of this game still, go back second half to 1625 mark. Duke takes the lead. Lively gets a slam dunk and Duke takes the lead for the first time in the whole game. And Kansas wants to run back. They want to get that lead back very, very quickly. The ball goes through the basket because the way Lively dunked it, it wasn't like out of the ball wasn't out of bounds. It was inbounds because, you know, sometimes when you dunk it, it sort of goes backwards. And the Kansas guy never steps out of bounds to inbound it. He just hands it off to one of his buddies and they go racing the other direction. There's a ref watching them the whole time. Now, and Kansas was trying to do like a secondary fast break, you know, one of these fast breaks off a made basket. And while they didn't get like an immediate layup or anything, you know, Duke was scrambling a bit on defense and Kansas got a bucket on that play. It's because the referee allowed Kansas to just run off with the ball to not take it out of bounds the way you're legally required to. It was one of like a dozen times that I saw the officials not calling the game correctly. And the reason this is in the bad is A, the officials sucked, but it's also bad because Duke needs to figure out a way to adjust. When they were calling all those charging calls, Duke's got to figure out, okay, this kind of thing isn't working. Jalen Blake's 
and Jeremy Roach. Keep on taking the ball to the bucket. Keep on getting packed and keep on getting charging calls. Guys, maybe, maybe we should pull up and take a little short jumper. Maybe we should change our direction a little bit rather than just going straight to the hoop. We got to figure out something different to do because the refs aren't letting us do what we're supposed to. Yes, the refs sucked, but Duke needs to adjust. So the thing about the, the charge calls, right, is how many of them there were. And just for us, and I know we drew so on Kansas as well. So let, let me, let, let's put that out there. It wasn't like, you know, we had, you know, all these offensive files and they had none. They did have some. And I think some of those may have been, you could call them questionable if you want. I don't really care about those. I'm focusing on our team. But we had nine offensive fouls last night. Nine. The that's, last, an, that's a crazy number. To keep that in mind, we had 18 turnovers. Nine of them were the offensive fouls. So if you think about it, turnovers is a bad thing because we had 18 of them. But hey, we actually, for the most part, took care of the basketball and the way we want to take care of the basketball. It's just the offensive fouls put that. We only had 16 fouls called on us last night. Again, nine of them were charges. So that also takes away, Jason, it takes away momentum. Like how many times that we have, I mean, again, a guy that, you know, goes up for an and one gets a foul call or offensive foul. A guy who goes up and lays it in to take the lead gets taken away. A guy who shoots a three gets called for a flop. Like those sort of things aren't necessarily bad in the sense that we did something wrong. It's bad in the sense that it stops momentum. And for a young team, momentum can be everything. For an old team, momentum could be a lot, but for but you could see the frustration in the eyes of all the young players, and I think that's where we're gonna. They got a root, you know, the root first lesson of hey, sometimes Duke doesn't get all the calls, just you know, unlike what the rest of the nation likes to think. But they're gonna have to learn how to deal with that, Jason. You're right, and unfortunately, they got a rude lesson in it last night. That hey, sometimes the refs are just going to wake up and decide their TV, Teddy Valentine. And because of that, you have to figure out a way to work through it. One thing that I'll be looking for this week, maybe not so much in, in the home games, but especially when Duke gets to Portland is the degree to which they change the game that John Shire changes the game plan because of the way that the refs seem to be calling games early this season. There are some like, actual structural changes like they have this this flopping rule now that Tyrese Proctor got called for and and it's possible that that they're that the refs are really going to be different this year um consistently different than they have been in years past great for Duke to have that wake-up call like you were saying Donald on on that new reality early in the season and it'll be maybe this is the first test for John Shire to see how well he reacts to the fact that the rules are different now and you got to play by this year's rules you can't worry about it what it was in the past and maybe they'll come back and they'll say oh okay we figured out how to play in this new environment and we're going to we're going to deal with the meta game the way that 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 it's being run I will say very quickly props to John Shire props to the coaching staff and props to the players because there was a couple of times where there were calls that were made and you could see, you know, John getting a little fired up. You saw some of the players getting fired up, but there were no technicals, you know, for descent in this game. There was just a technical for the for the stupid flop call. But the fact is there was a lot of ones that I would have gotten a technical for, but th they kept it cool. And because of it, again, those are easy points. They could have gone the other way. 
there was a lot of momentum taken away. They had every reason to be upset, and they were. But props to them for you know keeping a cool head about it and making sure that it didn't affect them on the scoreboard. All right. So the last thing we have to mention in the bad is the shooting. The the Blue Devils only hit thirty five percent of their shots in this game. We only hit fourteen percent of our three pointers. Three of twenty one from three. It's just it's got to be better than that. If if you go back and look at this game, there are a number of open three pointers that if Duke doesn't if Duke makes them, we're starting to run away from Kansas a little bit there in the second half. And and then the last thing I want to say, I, I want to give full credit to Kansas. This was not a game that Duke gave away. This was not a game where Duke played really poorly and deserved to win and the opponent didn't deserve to win. Uh-uh. Kansas played outstanding. They did an incredible job of moving the ball, of getting good shots. I, I love the way they made the second pass. Not that, you know, they they would make one pass, then they'd make a second pass to really put themselves in position to make a good shot. I think to some extent, Duke was a little bit lucky. There were a lot of shots that Kansas missed, especially from deep, that I think they usually make. Kansas didn't hit their three-pointers either. And I thought the Kansas defense, in addition to all those blocks, Kansas and Duke were doing a great job of getting hands on balls, knocking balls away, playing active, hard defense. This was two really, really good teams. And I don't know if we put it in the good or we put it in the bad or we put it in the I don't care, but we do need to give some credit to Kansas. Outstanding ball club, and they deserve the win. Both teams played hard. Both teams, I thought, you know, had a chance to win. Both teams, I thought, if they won, would deserve it. And Kansas obviously played well. Jason, very quick on the shooting. We shot 30 5.8% from the floor, not from three, not from the free throw line, from the entire floor. That's not going to happen very many times this year. But of course, that does not help you win a basketball game. But again, we only lost by five, shooting under 36% as a team from the field. We just got to dust that off and keep moving. All right, Donald, let's get your favorite play from this game, and then we will take a break. Uh, I already said it. the The flip play where he dunked over three people and then got the charge on the uh, on the you know ensuing defensive uh, uh, stop. So that was great. My favorite play also from Kyle Filipowski, but not that play. A different one. I love the play in the first half where there was like a loose ball and he sort of offensive rebounded it by tapping it ahead to Jalen Blake's who got a layup. It came at a moment when Duke really needed points. It was a great hustle play by Kyle Filipowski and a really heady smart play from a smart player. Let me take uh, an unconventional pick here and reference back something Donald brought up a few minutes ago. I am going to applaud the whole team and in my favorite play for not overreacting to some of the, the bad calls specifically. And I don't think it's a bad call. I think this is just how the games are being played now, but the technical foul on Tyrese Proctor for the, for the flopping. Um, I, I thought that the, the coaching staff and the players did a great job of just being like, got it. We will argue to the extent that it is like worth expressing our frustration and then moving on. I want to give them credit for that on a, on a maturity front. Cause I was going to mention uh Filipowski's play that, that, uh, that Donald had also brought up as his favorite play. Sam hand in hand with that. There was a play where I think it was when Jalen Blakes got called for the charge where you could see Jalen Blakes was ready to sort of run at the official and like three of his teammates grabbed him and held him back. And we're like, no dude, we play calm. And I, I like that. Guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll do a quick whip around on the rest of the ACC and its maybe lackluster performance so far this season. Maybe. And then we'll spend maybe 
<laughs> we'll spend a couple minutes previewing Delaware, who Duke is taking on in Cameron later this week. Stick around. All right, I said we need to address uh, the ACC. Jason, do you want to talk about Louisville? Do you want to talk about Syracuse? Do you want to talk about anybody else here? I mean, what what is going on with the ACC for the first week and a half of the season? What's going on is the conference is not very good. And the reason this is really important is because with the conference stinking it up so far in non-conference play, this is going to be the same situation that we saw last year, a year ago, when the conference looked bad in non-conference play, and suddenly we got to January and February and Duke was battling for a number one seed, and you started to look at Duke's schedule, you're like, they're not playing anybody who's a quality win. You know, even road games against decent ACC teams were not really high-quality opportunities for Duke because those ACC teams had looked so bad in the non-conference play. This is why non-conference play matters so much because you want your conference to look impressive. And so then when you lose an occasional game, because Duke's newsflash, Duke is going to lose some ACC games this year, but you don't want us losing the teams that look like they're terrible. I want to give you guys, just listen to the scoreboard from last night. Listen to some of these scores, North Carolina, the number one team in the land. They beat Gardner Webb by six. 72 to 66. Gardner Webb is 0 3. Carolina barely beat them. Appalachian State beat Louisville 61 to 60. Louisville's now 0 3 with three one point losses to three mid major or low major teams. Louisville's terrible. Wake Forest played Utah Valley. Wake Forest only won by three points in overtime. Colgate beat Syracuse by 12. It's the second year in a row that Colgate has beaten Syracuse. Clemson played South Carolina Upstate. Remember that team that Duke beat by 30? Clemson beat South Carolina Upstate by 11. These are just bad scores. And, and that's just one day. We've seen this now for a week. ACC sucks so far. This is a major problem. And I think the one thing from Duke that we have to worry about is sometimes you just got to look out for yourself. Sometimes you got to look out for number one. And when everyone else around you is is, you know, crapping the bed, then you just have to rise above it and play better. Because the great thing is that a lot of these teams have common opponents. For example, Jason, one of the three teams that have beat Louisville so far this year is Bellerman, who we will play in, what, a couple of weeks? So for Duke, yeah, okay. Like, it's not just, oh, don't lose to Bellerman. But we can say, hey, we're going to, if we dispatch Bellerman by 40, which is, you know, kind of the things that we're expected to do, that we could go say, hey, look, it's not an ACC problem. That's a Louisville problem. Like, Louisville has some issues. Clemson may have some issues. UNC may have some issues. But we don't. And it is not reflective of the entire conference. I know that doesn't go a long way to helping that in the national uh, eye. But at least from Duke's perspective, when they when tournament comes around, they go, hey, you know, a, you know teams were losing all these, you know, mid-major teams around here. But we weren't. We were taking care of business. And that's all that Duke can do in this situation is take care of business. There are a few opportunities for the ACC to distinguish itself during the Thanksgiving week uh, tournaments that go on, as well as in the Big Ten Challenge. But the the bad losses stick with you. 
and they are they are hard to claw back from, especially from some of these against teams in the in the tier three, tier four, or the quad one, the quad three, quad four categories where those are going to show up as as bad marks on the resume no matter when they happen during the season. Guys, let's talk about we'll we'll wrap today because we're not doing player of the week yet. It's not the end of the week, but let's talk about Duke's game upcoming against the Delaware Blue Hens this Friday. Uh, Donald, I'm going to have you kick us off here. Uh, what has Delaware done early in the season here? And to the extent that their performance from last season is still relevant, give us a rundown on on the Blue Hens. Well, real quickly, according to Ken Palm, they're the 182nd best team in the country. Uh, they're one and one on the season. They won their opener against William uh, William Wilmington, Delaware. That is a uh, Division three school, I want to say. Uh, they beat them by 24 but they lost last Friday to Air Force uh, by four on the road. So one and one, uh, they're in the CAA. That's the Colonial Athletic. And honestly, for you know, for Delaware, we don't have enough from them. And I know Jason will get to some of the, the main stats. So I'll stay clear of that. I think from Duke's perspective, the best thing is to come home to Cameron after you know a, a, a loss like that to Kansas, just very, very small. But focus on taking care of the basketball. Of course, we've talked about the turnovers and – how that number 12 has always been uh, 12 or higher has always been on the stat sheet at the end of our game. So far this year, we can focus on taking care of the basketball and really focus on not rushing focus on, you know, taking our shots, running our offense, doing things, you know, correctly and working out those, you know, all those errors that we have and all these mistakes, because, you know, coming up next week, we have the PK 85 classic and those are going to be some tough teams again to play. Uh, so this is where you kind of work those things out, work out some of the issues that you saw from Kansas, move forward and make it where this is going to be a nice night. One of the players that I wanted to make sure we highlight for for Delaware, which is Jameer. pretty fun and also upsetting for me, is that Jameer Nelson Jr. is their leading scorer this season. And uh, I read that I, I saw on their page when I opened up their their page on ESPN, it just has first initials and then last names. And I saw Jay Nelson. And my first thought was, oh, wouldn't it be funny if Jameer Nelson played for Delaware? And then I opened the page and it, it in fact was Jameer Nelson Jr. So Jameer Nelson case, is my age. So yeah, in case you haven't you felt old, old yet today, you think you feel uh, old. Yeah, just just wait, just wait till Deuce Tatum is is playing for John Shire in like nope. six nope. years or something. Um, <laughs> but Jameer Nelson is uh is, is the leading scorer for Delaware. They're they're highlighted by how, a, how is wait how is Jameer Nelson Jr. not playing at St. Joe's? How, how is that possible? I mean, Mark, Del you Curry, know, Phil Phil's not there no more. Well, you know, part Del of it Curry's, is actually his dad. His dad coaches uh, the Delaware G League team, so it may be just be that he wants to be around his dad. But I mean, Del Curry's kids went to Davidson and Liberty, uh, so and Duke. You know, well, eventually. Uh, right. Eventually, Duke, but but at least at least out of high school. So uh, Delaware is led by uh, a trio of of I guess it's really like two guys that are that are key scorers for them: Jameer Nelson and then Jair Davis, uh, who also like the two of them are also um, pretty decent rebounders for uh, for Delaware. the The most impressive rebounder for them so far this season is uh, is Christian Ray who is is pulling down rebounds like crazy at least in the in the two games so far as Donald pointed out it's not like there's uh it's not like there's a ton of data and one of the teams that they played uh isn't even in division 1 so uh there may be there may be some shock factor on Delaware's part walking into Cameron having 
you know, like the hardest game they've played this season. The, the only meaningful game they've played this season was against the Air Force Academy. And uh, I can tell you, walking into Colorado Springs ain't like walking into Durham. So, Jason, what do we know a little bit deeper on stats for Delaware that you think might be useful for Duke fans to know ahead of this game that hopefully is mostly a tune-up? Uh, Duke's got this and then one more tune-up against Bellarmine next week before they head to Portland. So the book on Delaware, it's tough to talk about them statistically because the the game against Wilmington against the D3 opponent doesn't doesn't count. Like no one no one keeps stats on that. Like the stats exist, but the advanced metric folks, they toss that game aside. It's like it didn't happen. They, they, it, it, it's meaningless to them. So all of Delaware's stats are in their one game to Air Force that they lost 75 to 71. It's worth noting. Air Force has been good at basketball in years past. They are not currently a very good team. Ken Palm says that Air Force is 243rd in the nation and Delaware lost to them. And, and let's be very clear. Air Force has beaten Delaware. Their other two games, Air Force lost to Bowling Green and Texas A&M Commerce, the feared Texas A&M Commerce team. Uh, so Air Force is not very good and they beat Delaware. One of the stories this game, I think, is going to be Delaware's height. That, that if there is a statistic you can look at, it's how tall are you? Because <laughs> that doesn't change. This Delaware team has one guy, uh, J.R. Davis, who is 6'7". Other than that, they're all like 6'5", 6'6", 6'4", 6'1". This is not a big team. When, when Duke rolls out there at the opening tip, whether it's Ryan Young or Derek Lively at the center position, I think it's a pretty good bet that Duke's going to have at least three, maybe four guys on the floor who are taller than virtually everyone on the Delaware team. And, and we've already seen that Duke has been a dominant rebounding team against teams that are big and physical inside, like Jacksonville and Kansas. The idea that Duke is going to go up against a Delaware team that is really small. And by the way, a year ago, Delaware was 300th in the country at defensive rebounding. Duke's the number one offensive rebounding team in the land. I have a feeling that may continue against Delaware. This is just a bad matchup for them. Uh, I, I do want to mention that Delaware is a team that gives up a lot of baskets by assist. Like last year, 45% of their opponent's baskets were assisted. That is something that I want to see Duke get a little bit better at. We've talked about assist rate. We didn't talk about it in the Kansas game that much, but Duke had a very low number of assists for, for each basket made in that game because we did a lot of scoring off of offensive rebounds. But that's a place where Delaware gives up a lot of buckets. That could be someplace you could look for Duke to succeed at. And Delaware also traditionally allows their opponents to hit a pretty good percentage from three. Last year, Delaware's opponents hit better than 35% from three. So those are two things that Duke, ha Duke hasn't done great so far, hit three-pointers and get a lot of assists. Um, so I'll be looking for Duke to improve upon that against Delaware. But then the biggest the biggest thing, again, is that rebounding margin. I, I just don't think with no one over 6'7", that, De that Delaware is going to be able to hang with Duke on the boards, either the offensive or defensive boards. Ken Pomeroy predicts that Duke wins this game 82-62. to 62. Bart Torvik says the Blue Devils win it 83-61. to 61. I'm in, not in the business of making predictions, but if you give me Duke and 20, which is about what these guys are saying, I think the Blue Devils will more than cover 20 points. So that will do it 
for this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Again, send us emails. We love the headlines. We love any other thoughts. I do need to close the the survey that I put up for the stats game because now people are are putting in submissions that that include uh, a few games worth of data that isn't fair. So uh, stop submitting those predictions. I'll know when you did so. Uh, we will be back, of course, after the Delaware game to talk about that. We also are going to have to talk about the outcome of the football game this weekend against Pitt. Duke is is trying to to make a push for for better bowl positioning, whatever the heck that means uh, nowadays. So we'll be back over the weekend to to recap all of that and more. For Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 459 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band. Take us home. I saw a really interesting movie last night. Yes. Um, I saw a screening of She Said, which comes out this week. It's about the New York Times reporters who broke the Harvey Weinstein story and sort of blew the wool, the the doors off of the uh, uh, the the whole scandal about sexual harassment harassment in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Really interesting as a journalist. Really interesting movie for me, Donald. I think you might like it because you have sort of your fingers dipped in journalism a little bit as well. Because yeah, a lot of it is sort of about how they were able to build this story. It's impossible not to compare it to Spotlight. Did you guys see Spotlight? Mm-mm. No. Spotlight was the Academy Award winning film about how the Boston newspapers blew the doors off of the child sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. It's not oh. as good as it's not as good as that movie. It's not quite as propulsive and thrilling as that movie. But this is it's a really it's a good movie with some really good performances and like a great movie about journalism. Anyway. Uh, what's it called? She said it's only in theaters or is it streaming? Uh, it'll be in theaters first. It'll probably come to streaming at some point. My bet is someone, I, I should look okay. it up. My bet is someone like Amazon prime or someone like that. will have it fairly soon. Well, I will have time next week to go to the movies actually. So maybe I'll do that. Well, um, if you have time to go to the movies, you need to see tar and banshees of insurance. Okay. I'm going to ask you about this again next week when I have time to go to the movies. There you go.